The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Children, if you'll meet your children's church leaders at the back. Thank you. Amen, church. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke on this third Sunday of Advent. For those of you that are visiting with us or maybe you're a little unfamiliar with the Scripture, there is a Bible in the pew back in front of you. And it is like uh, most other books in that it has a table of contents in the front. So if you just open that up, you can find where the Gospel of Luke is. It's in the New Testament. And the uh, large numbers of the chapters and the smaller numbers are the actual reference verses. And so we are going to be in Luke chapter number 1 in verse 46 to 55 today on this third Sunday of Advent. And, and brothers and sisters, what wonderful music, what a privilege it is for us to be able to gather together, to sing, to pray, to fellowship, to be with God's people, and to open up His holy and infallible and inerrant Word. We believe in Jesus Christ. If you're here today, and uh, maybe this past week has been tough for you, your heart is heavy, and uh, maybe you say, uh, or around this time of year, sometimes we have uh, lost loved ones, and this can be a very difficult time for people. We just want you to know that uh, you have found a congregation of people who are not perfect in any way, form, or fashion but we have found a perfect Savior. Amen? Jesus Christ has washed away our sins. He has given us a new heart. He has given us a new life. And we are just simply learning from Him day by day how to live our lives as He would live our life if He were us. And so we follow the Lord Jesus Christ. What a beautiful opportunity today to speak about the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Luke chapter number 1, verse 46 to verse 55. Let me read these verses for you. And then we'll go to the Lord in prayer, see what God would teach us today. So from verse number 46, And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord. My spirit is rejoiced in God my Savior. For He has regard for the humble state of His bond slave. For behold, from this time on all generations will count me or call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is His name. And His mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear Him. He has done mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, and He has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel His servant in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants, forever. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Our Father, we love You. We thank You so much. It is just such a great privilege to be gathered here together in this kind of spirit with Your people. And we pray now, Lord, we pray with all of our hearts that You would help us to focus 
that we would put off our lunch plans and, and the week and, and shopping and gifts and everything else just for a moment as we study this beautiful song, this wondrous hymn that is before us. And Lord, would you teach us, would you conform us to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ? And we shall thank you for all that you do, for it is in the name of Christ Jesus we pray these things. Amen. You find yourself in Luke chapter number one, you find yourself right in the middle of this wondrous hymn, and it is uh, referred to in Latin as the Magnificent, maybe that is in your Bible as a heading over this area. You would find if you read the entirety of Luke chapter number one that there are actually three songs in this chapter by uh, Simon, by Zechariah, and then of course by Mary as she sings and worships the Lord, and she is really a alluding all the way back to 1 Samuel chapter number 2, Hannah's prayer. In fact, it is almost verbatim. It is nearly word for word. Mary is recalling what she had read of Hannah's prayer, and now she is dumping all of that into a heart of worship and praise to the glory of God that the Savior has come into the world. And so we just want to look at this um, uh, song today, break it apart in three parts, and see what God would teach us. So from verse number 4, 46 to verse number 49. I want you to rejoice in God's regard. Look at these verses with me. Verse 46 to 49. He says here, and Mary said, right? And Mary said, my soul exalts in the Lord. And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For He has regard for the humble state of His bondslave, or just of His slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. And I just want to say on behalf of the Word of God, on behalf of His people today, that we should be the kind of church that is rejoicing that God has had regard for us. If you find yourself in this sanctuary today and sometime in your life, maybe long ago, maybe last week, maybe last year, but at some point in your life, Jesus shined down on your life. He had favor on you. He had regard for you. And He came to you in your sinful condition and saved you by His glorious mercy, by His work on the cross. If Jesus has saved you, you have reason to rejoice today. Day. Amen, church. We should rejoice. Yes, there are hard times, and I know there are brokenhearted and people here and in a congregation surely this size. There are people here who are hurting from this past week and hurting from lost loved ones and hurting from things that have gone on in your life. But this is the good and the glad day to put all of that aside for a moment and rejoice that our names are written down in glory based upon what Christ has done for His people. Rejoice, rejoice, sing the songs, the good songs of salvation. In the office we play around a little bit. Of course, Jamie will say that my whistling is like a nail gun to the head. They don't like for me to whistle. So you know what I do? I always, I always dial Jamie's extension and I just, as soon as he picks up, I start whistling as loud as I can. He hangs up, so nobody likes my singing so much or my whistling, but I'll tell you what, man, when I'm driving in the, you ever, now don't leave me, I hung out to drive. Y'all ever sing when you're driving in the car? I know you do. 
Now listen, if you sing when Don't Stop Believing by Journey comes on, you ought to sing when you sing some of these songs too. Amen? That's right. We want to rejoice. We want to sing. And if you can't sing today, if you don't have the voice from on high, just sing in your soul and sing with your mouth. Give praise. Let everything throughout all of God's creation give praise that we have been redeemed. I want to just take these verses apart just for a moment or two. I want you to rejoice in God's regard, not in Mary's greatness. Okay? Sometimes around this point of the year, we have a tendency to exalt and lift on high uh, Mother Mary. And surely there's nothing wrong with her. She was a, a wonderful lady and God chose her to bring about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ into the world. But the text that is before us is not meant, nor is it designed to highlight the life of Mary, but it is designed to highlight the life of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Father in heaven. Look back down at the text. She says, my soul exalts Him. The Lord, the word for exalt, here means to make large. Mary in her young life she is saying, with all that I have and all that I am and in the depth of my soul I make God large in my life. Church, I say to all of us today that our neighborhood and our families and our friends and all of our co-workers, they might experience a little of the power of God if we made Jesus large in our life. I want to encourage you when you leave here today to make God large in your life. I want you to exalt Him and lift Him on high. For He has done wonderful things. Look at what she says. My soul exalts in the Lord. And my spirit, that is the word here for the deepest, most inward part of my life where you can't keep a bottle top on it, where you can't cork it from the very entrails of the soul of Mary. She says, I make God large and my spirit rejoices in what He has done. And then look at verse number 47. And my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Brother, and sisters, I want you to understand when you leave here today that we love Mary, we appreciate Mary. God used her as a vessel to bring about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, but even Mary needed a Savior, right? Isn't that what the text says? I rejoice my soul and my spirit. It longs and makes God large. Why? Because God has brought my Savior to me. The verbs here in verse uh, 46 and 47 are in the present tense. And what it means here is that all of Mary's life, that moment by moment by moment, she was not letting down on the job, but she was rejoicing and giving God glory and worshiping the Savior Jesus Christ day by day and with each passing moment. She was making God large and the Savior glorious in her life. Do you do that? I was teaching that. Uh, I was teaching our... Uh, high school guys this morning, and uh, all of us in the room kind of had to say a little bit of an oh me. We talked a little bit about how good Jesus is and that He fulfilled the law. He not only fulfilled it outwardly, He fulfilled it inwardly. inwardly. He not only kept all of the law uh, on the outward side like the Pharisees did, but Jesus said if you look on a woman to lust, you've already committed adultery. Jesus said if you get angry with your brother, it's as if you've already murdered him. He was telling the Pharisees, look, you have all this outward righteousness, but your hearts are desperately wicked. Jesus not only fulfilled it on the outside, but even in the depths of His heart, he was perfect and He is the fulfillment and the culmination of the law for those who believe. Amen? Amen. Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus for what the law could not do. Weak as it was from our own sin, Christ did when He died for us. 
So if you have the merit of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life, if you have His satisfactory atonement on the cross applied to your own soul, you in the eyes of God are righteous and you can exalt as Mary did because God is our Savior. There's a group of people, a particular denomination or a sect of Christianity, and they too know this verse, and they get a little nervous about what that means about Mary being a sinner. And so what they simply would say is, yes, God preserved her from any sort of sin, but that's not what the text says. Mary says outwardly, God is my Savior. And if Mary, the mother of Jesus, knew down deep in her soul that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, don't you think it would be good for us today, church, to say, I too have sinned and come short of the glory of God and I stand in the need of the grace of Jesus Christ. Not only for those of you here today that don't know Jesus, but for every person in this room. When you wake up every day, you don't get saved by grace and then live by the law. You don't get saved by grace and then live some other way. You get saved by grace and tomorrow when you wake up, it's not how much can I do to earn the favor of God. It is I live a life out of gratitude for what God has already done for me. Look back at the verse for a moment. For he has uh, regard, look at verse 48. For he has regarded, or he has regard for my humble state of his bondslave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. Now, you might have a misunderstanding there. You might say, he regarded her humble estate. You see, God looked down from heaven and saw how spiritually mature Mary was, that she was humble, that she was lowly, that she loved the Lord, and God chose Mary because she was a humble person. That's not the connotation of that word. It means her humble circumstances. What it means is that God looked down into the world and where you might have chosen somebody that met all of that uh, beautiful scenery, where you would have chosen somebody that would have been in, say, some sort of Thomas Kincaid uh, picture or some sort of beautiful setting, or if you would, have, you would have chosen the right person at the right time, and she would have just looked just like you think Mary would have looked. Whatever you think Mary looked like, throw it out and understand that God looked down and found somebody that was in humble dire circumstances and he said I am going to choose the most lowly thing in the world to bring the glory of heaven into this fallen world man isn't that special I'm sorry I, this is one of my favorite texts in the Bible I, I, better, I better back that clutch down a little bit and, the, and put it down in third gear I'm already way out here I, I just love it listen God, God didn't find somebody that we approve of God didn't find somebody that you'd like God found somebody in lowly circumstances that couldn't boast of her own self. She didn't have the money to pay anything off. And he said, you know what? That little plot of land over there in Bethlehem in the corner of the world where nobody knows and that, that, that young lady who nobody pays attention to and she doesn't own anything nor rule the world, I'm going to imprint my son's life into hers and bring about the salvation of the entire world from that one corner of the world for you, for me. We should rejoice in God's regard. Uh, notice in verse 46 and 47, and 48 and 49 for that matter. Look at all the personal pronouns. Well, let me read it for you again. And Mary said, my soul 
exalts in the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior, for he has had regard for the humble estate of his bondservant. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. I would just simply say to us, look, we do have a salvation that encompasses the entire world through Jesus. We will get to in a moment that one day every tongue and nation and tribe will have people out of it that will worship Christ because of his world and global salvation. But I want to say this to us. We have a personal salvation and you should rejoice today that God has saved you. That God has brought salvation into your life. God has had regard for you. I, uh, I won't sing it for you, but there's a song I like. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves even me. You might be in this room today thinking, I, I thought the roof was going to fall in on me when I came in. If you, knew what I, if, if you knew what I've said and what I've done and where I've been, if, you, if I could open up the, the closets of your life and find those skeletons, those, those thoughts and those things that you've said that when you think about you cringe all by yourself of the things you've done and said and been to people and where, what you've done in your life and those deep, dark secrets of your life you say, hey, listen, are you, mean, you mean to tell me that a God in heaven sent His Son so to redeem me of all of my sin and all of my shame and all of my guilt to give me a new life and a new heart and a new soul and a new mind and a new family? Yes, Jesus did that just for you. He did it for all who would believe. He is in the process of restoring His kingdom throughout the world. But don't ever move beyond understanding that He came to save even you. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know, I, I'm desperate this time of year. I, I don't know what to do. I've been trying everything in the world to find satisfaction and meaning and hope. I want to tell you, if you'll lay down your weapons of warfare, of pride, and all the things that you think you know about religion, and in your humble heart, if you just come to Him and say, Lord Jesus, please save even me. That He would lovingly walk into your life, wash all of your sin away, take all of those skeletons and throw them away and give you new life. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians, translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son. Jesus will do that for you today. And all of my believers that are listening in, why don't you preach that message to yourself every day? Because I know many of you are struggling with guilt and shame and frustration and besetting sins. And sometimes you say, I can't even pray because I keep doing the same sins. I've got to get better. I've got to get up. I've got to have a few weeks where I've done right before Jesus will hear me. I want you to understand no matter what you've done and where you've been as a believer, you can go to Him right now based upon His merit, His atonement, His work, His love. It's about Jesus, not about us. We were saved by grace, we're kept by grace, and one day He will return by grace. So we rejoice in God's regard that He saves us and that He deserves all the glory. From back in verse number 49, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. From verse 50 to verse 53, quickly. 
maybe we should say this, that we rejoice not only in that He has regard for us, but we rejoice in His mighty deeds. And look at the connection now between verse 49 and verse number 50, that the mightiness, the, the awesomeness, the greatness of God is attached both to His mercy and His grace. And so in verse 49, for the mighty one has done great things for me, And holy is His name. See, His sovereignty is connected with His holiness. And in verse 50, uh, verse 50, you'll see that His mightiness or His sovereignty and His holiness end up into the stream of His mercy and goodness to all those who believe. Look at verse 15. And His mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear Him. The word for fear here is not that fear in which we cower back, although it is carrying the weight and the glory of an Almighty God in the presence of a finite human being, but it is, the, it is that reverential love and concern and awe for the God of heaven. He has mercy from generation to generation for every human being that will stand in awe of Him. Do you stand in awe of Him? Do you bow in awe of Him? Do you trust Him? Do you fear Him? Is God the supreme King of your life? Look back down at verse number 51 and let's look at God's mighty deeds. Look at what He does here. He has done mighty deeds with His arm. Uh, just so you know, this uh, you can press your uh, friends at the water cooler tomorrow. This is what's called an anthropomorphism. Yeah, you like that? All right. It just simply means where we give God some sort of uh, human characteristic because we can't quite understand all of His might and all of His power. If God had an arm, how big would it be? God doesn't really have a particular arm like we have an arm. What it simply means is God's might, God's power, God's strength. Yes. And so look back down at the verse. He has done mighty deeds with His arm, with His power. And then look what it says. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. Be careful if you're prideful in your own soul. Let him who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. God tears down those who are prideful in their thought life and He exalts those who are humble in their life. Be careful. Be careful about thinking that you are higher and mightier and that you know more than everybody and that you're the one that should have the say. Be careful because God tears down the pride. God topples the prideful and God exalts the humble. Look back at verse number 52 if you would and you'll notice here that there's two negatives and a positive as he moves from 51 to 53. So he scatters those who have the proud heart and then look at 52. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and he has exalted those who were humble. Verse number 53, he has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. The author here, Luke, is writing this, and from verse 51 to verse 53, um, I don't want to bore you, but there's a... The way he's writing this is in the past tense. It simply means that these things are so certain to happen in the future, God looks at them as if they've already happened. Isn't that cool? 
that when we look out in the world, it doesn't look like the rich are rich or empty-handed. In fact, when I, when I read the newspaper or when I, uh, when I look online or when I see the news, it seems to me that the rich get richer and the poor get poor. And there's greed all the way in between. It seems to me that there are numbers of unrepresented people. It seems to me that there are poor and hungry around the world. And while people have multi-million and billion dollar contracts, there are those who are starving to death around the world that we have enough food to feed everybody, but we don't because of the greed of our heart. And what I want to say to all of us is when I look out and I see that, and then I see a passage like this, my heart longs to say, Lord, when is this going to happen? And God looks down and says, son, it has already happened in my mind. Just wait for it to unfold. And the inbreaking of the righteousness of God spreading to all the world happened in Bethlehem when Jesus was born. I have a friend in New Zealand, and uh, he'll say to me sometimes, he'll say, uh, he'll say you're going to enjoy tomorrow when you get here. <laughs> we talk about, uh, about 4 o'clock on the phone for me, it's about 8 o'clock the next morning for him. Brothers and sisters, I want you to think about it like this. When Christ was born into the manger and, 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 and then He lived His life and He died and He rose again, He brought the inbreaking of the kingdom of God into this world. And it's as if all of us stand as far east as we can possibly get and we see the sunrise in the east and all of us in this room, we see the breaking and the shining and the glory of the rays of the sun as the sun begins to rise and all of us see that the sun is real and so we get on a plane and we fly as far to the west as we can possibly get and when we get off the plane in the west it is still dark it is still cold there is no light and we run into the streets and we run to the houses and we tell all the people in the west the sun is rising the sun is rising it is coming it is coming I say to you, we do the same thing, not with the S-U-N, but with the S-O-N. All of us have seen that the Son of the living God has risen from the grave. He was born in the manger, died on the cross, rose from the grave, and we know that Jesus is alive and well and living, and we run out into the dark world that is still in darkness and coldness and sin, and we tell them, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. We have seen the light, we have believed in the light, and our hearts have been changed. Will you believe? Rejoice in the mighty deeds that God has done. He has brought salvation to those who believe. And can I say this just quickly in that text? Hey, He topples the proud and He exalts the humble. And one day, He will do all of that in a complete fashion. It is a grand reversal. And so when you look out, don't be downcast. Don't be an Eeyore. Don't walk around thinking, oh my goodness, it's the end of the world. Hey, listen, you look up and you tell everybody that you can about Jesus and you fill the church with God's people and you worship Him and read about Him and be transformed into the image of Christ. We of all people have reason to rejoice because we know that this reversal is coming where He will cast down all the wicked and exalt all who are humble and rule and reign. Look at the last part of the text. We'll finish for today. Look at verse 54, verse 55. Rejoice that God is a, has covenant loyalty. I was thinking about that this week. I, I don't know. I could have probably phrased that a few different ways. Just God makes a covenant 
And God is loyal to it. And that covenant extends from the book of Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation. And it involves God's people. And so if you were to go all the way back to, say, Genesis chapter 12 or Genesis chapter 15, you would find that God made a promise to Abraham that one day there would be a seed that came from his line who would die on the cross and would rise again and would rule and reign for all eternity. And that, that promise goes all the way through the Old Testament. And even it comes from the line of David. And we know in the New Testament that that is about Jesus. Mary is reciting 1 Samuel chapter 2. And by the way, this is a little, this is a little this is a side benefit. I want you to think about this. The writers of the Bible are also the best readers of the Bible. Did you know that? Those who wrote the Scripture were the best readers of Scripture. And so when Mary is visited by the Holy Spirit and she is told, and by the way, Mary did know. Is that clear? Everybody got it? Mary did know. When the Holy Spirit visitors, and, and did you know this? She not only knew because the Spirit of God was telling her, she knew because she had read the Scripture. Look with me real quickly back at 1 Samuel chapter 2. Let me just show you this. We'll finish up. 1 Samuel 2. You remember the story of Hannah. She can't have children. She goes to the temple. She prays. Eli thinks she's drunk. She's saying, God, give me a child. God gives her a son, Samuel. One day Samuel will anoint David as the king, and one day Christ will come from David's line. And so she goes back, and she's praying. She's rejoicing. She's singing. And in fact, she is singing a song here that Mary sings in her day. And look at 1 Samuel 2, verse number 10. Those who counted with the Lord will be shattered. Against them He will thunder in the heavens. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth and He will give strength to His King and will exalt the horn of His anointed. That's the first time that the word anointed is found in the Hebrew Bible. And this is speaking of the King that would come from the Davidic line, that God would give His King strength and would take care of His anointed. Luke chapter number 1, verse number 47 is the first time in the New Testament that the word Savior is found. And it comes from the song and the lips of none other than Mary herself. And when you get down to verse 54 and 55, she is directly quoting back from 1 Samuel 2 and verse 10. He has given help or strength to Israel his servant, in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to the fathers, to Abraham and His descendant forever. We have reason to rejoice in God's covenant loyalty. I want you to understand this. God made a promise to fallen sinful people that He would redeem us of our sin and get, take us to glory with Him for those who turn from their sin and put their faith and trust in Him. And you know what? He made that promise. And He kept it by giving us His Son. And Mary, sweet Mary, understands in her heart as she is praying and singing to God that God was being faithful to the promise He had made long ago and He was fulfilling it in the Son that she would have. That whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Hey. Jesus was born into the world 
and God provided a Savior. And not only did God provide a Savior for all of our souls to keep us from eternal judgment, God provided a Savior that we might walk with Him day in and day out in our lives. I tell you this, and I'll finish. I was thinking early this morning, I like to watch, anybody in here watch the Food Network? Really? Okay, so this illustration will be good with like two people, right? All right. Food Network, whatever it is. I, for some reason, I watch those shows at nighttime, and it shows right here. Now, I mean, I'm watching this show, they're making the, all these sloppy, nasty hamburgers and mac and cheese rolls, all this kind of stuff, and all of a sudden I'm watching, I'm like, you know what, baby, I think I'm hungry. Let's get, I need to make a snack. You know, I think there's something there. I should put it on. I'm watching a show the other day, and they bring out this bacon, macaroni, and cheese hamburger and sit it in front of a lady there in a restaurant and she says, this is a game changer. This will change your life. I mean, it might clog all your arteries and you die. I mean, that's a life changer. But I'm sitting there and I'm watching the thing, brothers and sisters. I'm sitting there and I'm like, really? Really? Like a mac and cheese hamburger, that's life changing? No. That's not life changing. Whatever, I hate to tell all of our boys and girls, and of course, you know, all of our adults in here, I know you like to get gifts underneath the tree at Christmas time as well, but I want you to understand, no matter what gift you get this Christmas, it is not life-changing. It is not life-transforming. It is not turning the world upside down for you. But I'll tell you what, gift is life-transforming. Putting your faith and confidence in one who can wash all of your sins away and give you new life and heal all of the hurts of your heart. And you, you leave here today and you lay down everything and say, man, I, I want Jesus and nothing else to be the Lord of my life. That's a game changer. That's a life changer. You pray in a moment and just kind of release some of those fears and anxieties and inhibitions and frustrations. And you say, Lord, you saved me. You provided your son. You're able to keep me. I don't have to keep the law in order to be saved. I simply follow you out of gratitude for what you have done. That, my friend, will drop the chains of your life and be life changing for you. you bow your heads with me and close your eyes just for a moment. Heads are bound, eyes are closed. If you're visiting with us, it's just the way we do it. This is time to pray, all right? Uh, we're not going to call you out. I'm not asking you to do anything crazy. I'm just pray right now. Maybe you've gone seven, eight, ten days, and, and you've not had a chance to just reflect and pray. There's nobody looking around. We ask you just to respect everybody's privacy. Why don't you, why don't you just talk with God right where you are? Say, I'm, I'm, I'm not good at that. It's okay. He understands you. He's God. Why don't you just talk to Him right where you are? If you're here today, you say, man, I don't know Jesus is my Savior, but I want that. I want all of my guilt washed away. I want some sort of new life. I need some help with that. Hey, listen, why don't you talk to Him right now? Say, Lord, if you're real, if you're there, if you really did die for me, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. You make that decision, the people of this church will walk with you the rest of your life and help you along the way. There's some of my other brothers and sisters in this room you're hurting. Your hearts are heavy. You either have sin in your life or you have hurt and pain and frustrations and fears. <laughs> Reminded of that song around Christmas time that in Bethlehem, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in Him tonight.
Why don't you go to Jesus right now and give your life right to Him. And dump all of those things in His lap and let Him deal with them. It's okay to be quiet for a moment. Just, just pray. Just talk to the Lord. You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.